Good morning, audience of the We Are MCBS podcast. My name is Tyler Oswald. You guys might know me as Ozzy. I am your AP at the moment of this recording. And we promised a very special episode last week talking about certain things between marketers and influencers. And across the microphone from me right now is one lovely one effervescent shannon gillette hello 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 she has returned for her third time on the podcast i'm a regular now watch out yeah we're gonna get you to replace jason (laughs) oh no 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 i am not taking that on (laughs) you're not waking up all those mornings (laughs) have you met me (laughs) Uh, Once or twice. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about a case study brought up by Allison and Partners. And so this is the title of their case study is Unleashing Influencer Marketing and Realizing It's Full of Potential. And what I want to call it is Marketers versus Influencers, Dawn of Impressions. When we last talked about it, we were really talking about the difference between a marketer and an influencer. And this time, we're going to kind of go into some details about the case study itself. So going over just a quick, brief generalization, Shannon, what what were a couple things you found from the case study that really stood out to you? And maybe uh, regale the audience with what course you teach as well so they can understand how it's kind of uh, related for you. Okay. Well, I do teach research and media communications, um, and so this was obviously fascinating to me, full of data and metrics and analytics and all those fun things, um, and final analysis, which is my favorite part. Um, I think that overall, after I read it, I had this innate feeling of a divide between the two camps, and uh, it seemed like the marketers are, you know, more of the set in the ways, rules following kind of um, uh profession, you know, and going after information and how they're getting their product and brands out to everybody. And then the influencers are just the natural, uh, community of people that are in the me- the social media and communications world. And so they have two different ideas about how to reach people and they have two different ways that they go about that. And it's kind of fascinating to look at both sides and to see how each one is effective and then put them together and see hmm. how that clashes. I think that's pretty, pretty fun, actually. And one of the things uh, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast was I felt like it was brand versus brand going against each other. So let's use a big name example let's just say coca-cola wants to use influencers to push a new product a part of their campaign and they go to an influencer who wears like exclusively blue that's Mm -hmm. a part of his uh brand and they're like hey can you wear red in some of these and he's like no so you have the marketers who are really devoted to the brand itself that they're working for who are basically the good soldiers a part of that marketing team and then an influencer who is an independent who hits their own identity and, you know, that's really interesting you say that because, you know, obviously the marketers have, marketers have seen that the way that they're going about it, asking people to wear their clothing, put it in on billboards, sides of cars, all of that. It works to an extent for what they're trying to do, but they're trying to bridge this gap between what they're doing and where they're seeing engagement is with people that are, um, you know, dealing with social media and communications on this side. And so they want to have an effect over there as well. It's just that they don't have the tools yet or the understanding yet to know how to you know go to somebody who's wearing all blue Mm -hmm. and say but this is what works for us why aren't you doing what we're paying you for right right? and they're coming back at them and saying um 
sometimes they're coming back to them and saying, uh, you know, because this is the way I do things and this is how I reach an audience. And sometimes they're saying, thank you for the paycheck. I'll put a coupon code at the bottom of my page. And that was one thing, too, that actually went into the case study was they were mentioning that a lot of influencers are really open to the idea of giving us a special link because that also helps track metrics Mm -hmm. because um, the marketers will understand that how many people click that link is how well their campaign is doing and it allows for metrics for both sides to kind of understand the power of such an influence. And I read in this paper, too, when they were doing some qualitative research in there that they were asking the influencers, you know, what do the marketers ask for you when it comes? time to get metrics and do an analysis of how it's working. And they said that oftentimes they don't. Oftentimes they go in and they try to get their own um, idea of what the metrics are based on what they know as marketers. And they don't really ask for the influencers, you know, set of metrics for themselves. Uh, And they might gather them differently or, you know, analyze them differently. And I thought it was fascinating that, you know, they don't even a lot of them don't even ask the influencers to give them the information from what they're putting the content that they're putting out there. And so one of one of the questions I actually had, because we talked about this a little bit briefly beforehand, is so since there seems to be an issue on the marketing side to understand the metrics, to understand the data, what do you think an influencer can do to kind of quantify you know, what is essentially a qualitative influence upon an audience? How do they quantify that to present to a marketer and probably help leverage for monetization and better deals, et cetera, et cetera? And that's a good question because, you know, they both see it so differently. So if you're just giving them the, you know, the likes and the follow through and like, you know, how big the audience is, um, and even the time period, I, I read that, you know, they're, they're looking at like, this should be done in two weeks. And then you have, um, you know, your influence over here that's like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, usually we, we spread this out over this amount of time. And and so, you know, to get the more bang for your buck, if you're going to come to me and, and ask for this and, and you want to see actual results that I can give back to you and show you, you're going to have to let me run this the way that I've been successful before. And I think maybe breaking down what they have had success with previously and showing how it might be different than, you know, the, the metrics that the marketers are looking for, but showing how it has been successful for them and has kept their audience up and showing the engagement and just showing them the difference. I, maybe that could be how they could, you know, show them that while they're different, they're still effective in two different ways. Yeah. Yeah. The marketers, Um, especially from the case study, it's basically they're almost saying that the difference between a marketer and an influencer is basically the difference between left and right brain. Yeah. You know, the influencer has all the creative independence. They can go out. They're like, ooh, pretty colors. And then they take a selfie. They take a a photograph. They post that. And then they're able to reach an audience through a connection. While marketers are the cold, the calculated. They're the people, you know, in the file room looking for SpongeBob's name. (laughs) (laughs) what's his name (laughs) and it really seems like two worlds that are so similar trying to find a way to coexist together they just haven't found a way to it's like the left and right hemisphere exist in the same head they just don't have a bridging gap yet Mm -hmm. you know what it makes me think of like the you know everybody everybody yells millennials this and millennials that millennials this we really did ruin everything though you did not you did not don't let anybody anybody applebee's is gone because of us good they're awful (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
thank you, thank you, millennials. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I, I work I work with too many of y'all to to have any kind of negative. Um, you know, um, it's just different, and every generation is different. But it just seems like you know here everybody's they're like like they look over from the ship in the sea and they're like whoa all of that is working so well and how can we jump into that and they want to jump in with their own rules instead of gathering gathering all of them together and saying okay talk to us how did this work for yeah and it's weird too because you would think that as generations grow up similar generations are diverging in this path to where some will be influencers some will be marketers it makes me wonder you know we here at mcbs i mean if i was to go into a marketing position i understand the job of an influencer and it feels like when i was reading this case study it was kind of like a yeah no duh mm-hmm. but at the same time i also think about the early days of youtube as well where they had no idea of the amount of power they had and bigger companies were really kind of uh giving him the shaft to keep it as PG as possible. Yeah. And so I feel like we're at the next step now when it was the new media content creators. Now the next struggle for online content is going to be the influencer market. And what has me wondering to go back to what I originally was going to bring up is if, you know, similar aged individuals are going the marketing route, how are they not putting like two and two together? You would feel like it should be an out of touch marketing executive. I think they are. I think we're getting ready to see a whole change Mm -hmm. in marketing because of who's coming up in the ranks for future marketers, right? Mm -hmm. They're the ones that were part of the community built by these influencers. And so you know, when they decide, okay, I'm going to go now be a marketer. I'm going to college. I'm doing this. Um, they're not just bringing the old idea of we need commercials and t-shirts and, you know, we need to print in the newspaper and all that. Those, those old things are having to kind of slowly go by the wayside while these new marketers have always been brought up in the sphere of influencers and being part of that community and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And so I think we will see a change. I just think, you know, it's going to be a little slow, but we're all getting old and we're going to die soon. So you eventually know, you guys will take over. Oxygen kills us slowly. It just <laughs> yeah. takes 75 years to do so. Uh-uh. Um, 95. Oh, has life expectancy gone up? For me. Oh, 95 then. Aren't you already like 120 though? 109. Yeah. yeah. See, so you've already outlived it. But, you know, you brought up kind of the traditional means and even this case study goes into mentioning like influencers should really start looking outside of their sphere of digital influence and see how they can go. They mentioned email campaigns. They mentioned uh, local influence, things like that. Thoughts and opinions on that? Because for me, it's like, why? But I get where they're coming from, especially as a marketer. You want to hit every base possible. I agree with some of it. Um, Email campaigns, okay. You know, yes, you can get metrics on that that say what you're sending out does get looked at, and maybe you did get some play off of it. And, you know, it just seems to me like these email campaigns are like the old newspaper ads from Mm -hmm. before, and then this was the next generation of it, and then I don't even know what the next one's going to be. But When everything's VR. (laughs) Or maybe the next generation is them doing the ads on on YouTube, or um, if you have Amazon Prime, and now they're doing little Amazon Prime ads before Uh the service that you're paying for but that's a whole different soapbox that we'll put out in the hallway and get on another time um but going to venues and things like that that's all part of that community Mm -hmm. right because let's face it that's really where influencers 
you know, live. Mm-hmm. They live in community. And it's what everybody, you know, they kind of crave that belonging and that, you know, and if it's a brand or if it's an idea or if it's just something they're passionate about, people want to be part of it. And so marketers are just trying to say, look at us, look at this, we're great. Whereas the influencers are like, come join us. We'll all talk about this and be in this together. And so if you go to events, if you go to, um, you know, it can, and they can be digital events, you know, mm-hmm. online concerts or whatever i'm making that up but <laughs> you know what i mean eventually um, or, or you know f- music fairs or art fairs uh-huh. or you know digital conferences or megacon you know <laughs> these are all places where you know you go and meet with these same people that you have a connection with and i don't know that's that's huge because you already have a connection when i see you know obviously a draw speaking going down the convention route one of the biggest draws for conventions is the the guests that they're bringing in so you know i i'm gonna get a little more personal on this podcast because there's only two people in a room right now (laughs) you know i watch a little bit of anime here and there so i have my facebook feed i follow them on like twitter instagram and i always see like their con appearances and they have lists you know what dates and all that thinking as a marketing executive what would be probably good ideas for them to start sponsoring more of these live meetup events because if i remember data about millennials from the multitude of classes is that we like inclusivity when it comes to uh anything the experience and inclusivity are the big two and if they're trying to tap into that market obviously generation z is you know just hitting adolescence basically they're they're finally becoming legal in the eyes of the state they sure are so a lot of that information is going to be coming out i've heard some interesting things about them but focusing on the millennial generation right now what stops a marketer from saying, hey, our company is going to sponsor this specific event. We need you guys here. And not only does that get you the qualitative needs of the influencer because they get to set up the event, Mm -hmm. you get the quantitative data by knowing how many people showed up. And then, hey, if your whole let's go with Coke, if all if all the Cokes sold out, you've had a really good party. Do you really want to go? Oh, I like how you saw where I was going. With that. Um, so here's a difference between maybe old school and new school. You might have Coke come and offer to do this community thing mm-hmm. for everybody. And if it's so far away from what the influencers are trying to um have as community or their passion or those things that we talked about what right. they're doing. If it's so disconnected, a lot of them aren't as drawn by the money portion of it as mm-hmm. maybe in the past they would have been. So they might not look at Coke <laughs> and say, you know what? Yes, you're our sponsor because you're doing this because they aren't related to the information and right. to the community. And so that might be actually more important to them than the event or the sponsor or, or you know, getting the funding for it. Uh, so I think that's a huge thing the marketers need to realize is they can't just take a, a Honda Civic and <laughs> go into the um, food truck blog right right um that's about hamburgers and uh, and try to have them sell the idea of a honda civic to their particular community it just doesn't work like that it has to be somhow relatable it has to be something they can put in um vitamix is a blender okay there you go vitamix is a blender i love vitamix and we love a vitamix and so there's a lot of my food blogs and things that i look at um and in part of their community makes sense to me 
mm-hmm. that they're going to push Vitamix. Why? I have a Vitamix. I love my Vitamix and half the stuff I make that they're talking about, I make with a Vitamix. Right. That makes sense. Right. That makes sense. But if they're trying to sell me a Honda Civic with a Vitamix in the back. Right. That's powered by the engine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but, you know, you see, that's the difference. And I think marketing is used to being able to like they're like, I'm just going to market this. I'm going to put this advertising here. I'm going to do it. It's going to work. And the influencers are like, yeah, not, not so much. Yeah. It, that was in the case study as well, mentioning that marketers should really take the time to understand the influencers they're looking to yes. partner with. Because if you find an influencer that really fits your brand's goals, just to even the slightest bit, you know, that's a powerful tool. Uh, I think back to uh, some of the celebrities, because you can also I sometimes consider celebrities influencers as well, you know, even though they're not uh, by the respect yes, of it. you can. The first thing. <laughs> thing I thought about was uh, one of the uh, social media controversies surrounding Gal Gadot. What? It was nothing big, but she was sponsored by a phone company called Huawei, I believe it was. And when she tweeted out a sponsored post, it had the bottom marker sent from iPhone. Right. right. So it was probably just like somebody running her social media account that posted it from their iPhone. But even something as simple as that just kind of like blew up the whole deal. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're trying to tell us to use this brand of phone. From an iPhone. Uh, from an iPhone. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I, I think about stuff like that every now and then, which anybody who markets phones, I, I, my, my condolences, because you have a harder job if somebody doesn't click something mm-hmm. off right. And what a difference. You know, it's not just some everybody sitting in front of a computer following a, a schedule of what they're supposed to be putting out anymore. It's, right. You know, we have our phones, I'll, you know, nine times out of 10, I am creating content on my phone to put out because I'm at an event or I've seen something mm-hmm. and I want to get it out there quickly. And that changes, you know, how you go around creating all of this stuff and how quickly you turn around with it. How you curate the content, too, yes. and all that jazz. I mean, as somebody who has ran social media teams, especially with students on them, I, I, you, you know, it's some of the mishaps that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, things come down very quickly when you get that alert. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, it really seems what both spheres of influence need to start realizing is that cross-media marketing has now evolved. Okay. You know, cross-media marketing used to be, you know, let's bring up Deadpool 2 and Celine Dion. That was <laughs> That was beautiful. beautiful though. That was beautiful. That Almost is the as perfect... good as the Princess Bride one, which I hadn't seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, Once Upon a Deadpool. With I didn't know that existed <laughs> until like so six months good. ago. Well, that's actually in the film, so it's not necessarily... Oh, I need B12. Yeah. My brain doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Is it really in the film? Yeah. They do the whole thing like that <laughs> to make it a uh, PG-13. Let's pretend like I knew that. And so, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> right now, what the cross media is, is between the marketers, their product, whatever it may be, and then the influencers themselves, you know, treating them as a separate entity rather than a soapbox, you know? Yeah. I think that's what a lot of this boils down to. And we're running a little long here on the We Are MCBS podcast, but that's just a lot out. That's just (laughs) that's what you think. (laughs) I only have to chop out that beginning bit. I just want to say this, though. It's the communication. Mm -hmm. It really is. I don't know why everybody fights against this so much. Why is it so hard to sit down with the influence and ask them, hey, I know these are our rules and this is what's working. What's working for you and vice versa? 
versa because they want a paycheck too. The influencers love their paychecks. Yeah, it's kind of, it's the influencers turn to learn how to market themselves on a quantitative side. And then it's the marketer's job now to understand the qualitative side of the influencers. You got it. They just need to learn to accept each other's differences, hold hands in holy matrimony till death do them part. Kumbaya. (laughs) I think that about does it for this episode of the We Are MCBS podcast. This was a very special edition. So thank you very much, Shannon Gillette, for taking time out of your very busy schedule. Thank you, Ozzy, for having me. Absolutely. (laughs) We're going to have to come back to whatever your soapbox rant was earlier. I'm not going to let you off the hook for that one. I am down. I'm liking this. And with that, we will see you next week. Same MCBS time, same MCBS channel.